Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That, that's a strange way to introduce a person. <laughs> it's the very first time we've been working our way through the book of John. And John the Apostle records that John the Baptist saw Jesus for the very first time, which we discussed a few weeks ago. Our question is, why did he use this phrase? Now, as we've already learned, John was in the desert for years before he came out and started to preach. And he knew he would be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You know, he knew his job. He was going to introduce the Christ. So, in other words, he had been thinking about this moment for a long time. This event that would happen in his life. So why choose this set of words? We could also approach John's proclamation from this direction. What must the people have thought when they heard John say this? We know that most Jews back then wanted a Messiah who would save them. But by save them, they meant get those lousy Romans off our backs. That's what they thought when they said save. They wanted a warrior Messiah who would come in and crush our enemies in battle and free the nation. But John says, Lamb of God. Lambs don't figure into battles very much, right? <laughs> the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. It's not our sins we care about. It's those stinking Roman overlords. That's our problem. You know, we don't want to focus on our problems. It's those guys who are the problem. That's what they think. So we could explore this statement from that direction also, but I'd, I'd like to take a different course today. What did Jesus feel when John pointed at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To understand that, we'd have to answer another question. What did Jesus know? <laughs> now, I know some people say, what do you mean? He's the Son of God. He knows everything. That's true. The person of the Son knows everything. He's God and has omniscience, as we call it. But if that's all we remember of the Son of God, we've already forgotten John the Apostle's introduction of the light. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The technical name for this is the hypostatic union. The person of the Son added a human nature to his person. That is to say, he was born an honest-to-goodness, real human baby. Okay? He's a real baby. Still remaining God, you, know, you, you, just, you don't get to just take a break from being God. That doesn't work that way. But also as a real, truly human man. That's the static part of hypostatic union. The nature of the Son in divine form and the nature of the Son in human form, they don't somehow mix and make some entirely other thing. That's, that's not what's going on here. He remains always truly God and yet truly human. And if he's truly human... He can't know everything. There is a limitation in Jesus' human knowledge. 
in his human nature, growing up in backwoods Nazareth, (laughs) walking towards John, what did he know? What did he as a human being know when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Well, to learn that, we might first ask, what did Mary and Joseph know? They raised him, right? Remember, Jesus was a real human being. He started off just like every other human being, being who he was, but not knowing who he was. So he had to learn. And from whom did he learn? Obviously, first and foremost, Mary and Joseph. So, what would they have understood if they heard John's introduction to Jesus? Now, right off at the beginning, they would have had a hint as to what it all meant when they brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. An old man named Simeon intercepted them and demonstrated much to their astonishment that he knew more about who Jesus was than they did. (laughs) Angels or not. While talking about Jesus and his mission in life, Simeon at one point looked Mary straight in the eye and said, And a sword will pierce your own soul also. So right off the bat, they had a hint, but only a hint. But they did know something about what John was saying. And then again, of course, they had Jesus, (laughs) whom they were raising. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. To have wisdom is to manage knowledge well. And where did Jesus get most of his knowledge growing up? Let's ask this another way. What would Mary and Joseph have taught him as he grew strong and became grew and became strong, filled with wisdom? Well, for certain, the Bible stories, right? Like Cain and Abel. Cain was a vegetable farmer, and he wanted to offer his produce to God in a sacrifice. But God says, no, that's not good enough. You need to offer a lamb. And then there's the story of the deluge. Afterwards, God made a covenant with Noah and his family and all mankind, even the earth, by the way, and all the animals. That God's covenant was very broad. And Noah was so grateful that he offered a sacrifice of all the clean animals, which would include a lamb. Mary and Joseph would have told Jesus of Abraham's preparation of a sacrifice for the covenant God would make with him, but also of another sacrifice Abraham prepared for God. So let's come back to that one. I'd like to look at a watershed event in Jesus' young life that Luke records. We talked about it last week as we looked at Joseph, the right man for the job. But I'd like to look at it from a different angle. Let's review. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. It was the custom for Jewish boys to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem for the first time when they were 12. So, for 11 years, Jesus had been left behind as his parents went to the Passover in Jerusalem, right? (laughs) I mean, do you think maybe he was curious? I think so. And I think his parents would have taught him all about the first Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. According to their father's household, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. 
they may take it from the sheep or the goats and they shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Did Jesus contemplate this? as they made the long journey to Jerusalem. It took a few days to travel from, to Jerusalem from Nazareth. And everybody would be talking about the Passover, right? Because that's why they're going. What connection did Jesus make? I mean, we don't actually know. But we do know this about the 12-year-old Jesus. <laughs> he was an ex extraordinarily responsible young man. Mary and Joseph didn't even check on him when they left Jerusalem. <laughs> didn't even check. And unbeknownst to them, Jesus stayed there when everybody else went back to Nazareth. His parents were in a panic. They rushed back, and after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, first, without question, <laughs> Jesus was not your normal 12-year-old, okay? We don't know terribly much about what Jesus knew then, but we do know that in this statement, he changes all of history. No human being had ever spoken of God like this before. My Father, Jesus said. There's no recorded history of anyone ever calling God my Father in this way before Jesus. None. No Jewish rabbi had ever done so. In fact, it was more than four centuries after Christ before the Jewish teachers began to refer to God in this way. Like maybe they were a little tired of Christians having an exclusive on this, and so they decided to add it. My father. How much did Jesus know then? Remember we talked about Abraham and the special offering he prepared? He brought one other person along with him, his son Isaac. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire, the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide an offering if you read all that story, you find out the offering Abraham believed God had provided was Isaac, his only begotten son. God had other plans. But what I want to know is, did the young Jesus, 12 years of age, did he get the connection? I mean, we don't know. But he called God my father. 
And yet he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Even with all he obviously already knew, Jesus kept learning and understanding. So what did he know when it came time for him to start his ministry? The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Did Jesus know what it meant to be the Lamb of God when he was being tempted by Satan? What about when he was changing water into wine at the wedding? Did he know? Or when he was cleansing the leper or healing the paralytic or the deaf or the blind? Jesus quoted from the prophet Isaiah. Let's read something Isaiah wrote about God's servant. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. By his knowledge shall the righteous one make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. By his knowledge. There are two kinds of knowing. You can understand, you don't know in your head. You understand that. And you can know by experience. Did Jesus understand that he would experience being cut off out of the land of the living? Did he know that he would experience the Lord, his Father, crushing him, putting him to grief as his soul made an offering for our guilt? Did Jesus know he was the servant Isaiah spoke of when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount? How about when he was walking on the water? Did he know? When he was feeding the 5,000, did he know some in that crowd would cry out for his crucifixion? When he raised the widow's son, did he know he too would have to be raised from the dead? There's another watershed event in Jesus' life, this time in his ministry. Well, really, it's in his apostles' lives when he tells them the truth. Now, it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? 
And they answered him, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We can't be sure when Jesus understood that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and what that meant, but we know he knew at the confession of Peter. This was when he first told them that he was going to die. So he knew at the transfiguration. He knew when he healed the blind Bartimaeus. He knew at the triumphal entry. He knew. He knew as he cleansed the temple. And certainly he knew at the Last Supper. And later that night at Gethsemane, as he wept in agony, he knew. And then the next day, on Good Friday, he was well beyond head knowledge into experiential knowledge of the suffering servant when he appeared before Pilate. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus knew his purpose then. Which is why he could endure this scourging that shortly followed this conversation. It's why he endured the cross. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, joy? <laughs> when he was on the cross, he knew joy was before him. How much did he know as he hung there gasping for breath? On the cross, did Jesus know that about which John would later write? Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. A lamb? Didn't he say lion of the tribe of Judah? I said, root of David, the king he would conquer. Why? A lamb. A lamb standing as though it had been slain. Because as Jesus knew, even as he hung on the cross, only the perfect sacrifice of the Lamb of God could ever take away the sin of the world. But I wonder, I think we, we need a wonder while he was suspended between heaven and earth, 
on that tree? Did he know the glory the Father would assure he had? As the Lamb, standing as though he had been slain, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Jesus knew he would save us all. On the cross, in the midst of his human suffering, in his mind, he knew he would one day experience this saving of us all. Ah, but how much did he know? Did he know the praise all creation would lavish on him? Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the four living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. I don't know if Jesus knew this on the cross, but he knew enough. We wondered for just a few seconds what the people of that time understood when John first cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Probably they got it wrong. (laughs) What do people who hear, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world now think? Do we really understand all that he has done for us and all that he will do for us. One day he will make for us a new heavens and a new earth where all things are pure and perfect. The Apostle John was given a vision of, well, us (laughs) at that time. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are the bride of the Lamb. The the most intimate love any two humans can share on this earth is within marriage. John was struggling. (laughs) Our marriage to Christ will be much better than any marriage even on this earth. I don't know when, 
as a human being, Jesus understood what he would do for you and for me. For all who believe, it's amazing to contemplate that he had to learn that at some point in his young life. But I do know that we, we must not forget why a lamb had to be sacrificed. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the scriptures say. All who wish to enjoy eternity with the lamb must be ready. That lamb is also eternally the lion. And one day he will come back. It would be good to know him. (laughs) Can we say that? And we have a simple message for those who wish to know him, to experience him, to know him in that sense, to have a relationship with the lamb who will return as the lion. We call it ABC. Admit your need. None of us ever, no human being in this planet has ever measured up to God's perfect holiness other than the Lamb of God. So, admit your need and believe that Jesus, the Lamb of God, can and will save you. And see, commit your life completely without reserve to Jesus. And as we tell people this, we have to understand there is some urgency to this simple message. The Lamb who is the Lion will someday return. (laughs) And it would be good to be ready. We need to share that information with people. Let's pray. Father, It's strange to contemplate a young child. Even though he's the person of the Son, of course, he had to learn who he was. He was human. And then he had to learn what that meant. We don't know when he understood it all. But he did. He learned it. And he learned what he would do. He experienced it. Many people have a head knowledge of who Jesus is. Who he was as he was on this earth, what his mission was, even about his death and that it is a substitute for our death. They might even know that. But do they know him in their hearts? Do they experience him in their souls? That's the question. We need to know Jesus. And we need to tell people, get ready. Get ready. For he's coming soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.